house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. exercise judgment in political affairs. If we allow women to vote, it will mean the loss of social structure. Vote for women! Vote for women! Vote for women! Thumbs up. <laughs> you work at the laundry? Part-time from when I was seven, full-time from when I was 12. We meet Mondays and Thursdays if you're interested. You're a suffragette, Mrs. Elliot. I consider myself more of a soldier. As Mrs. Pankhurst says, it's deeds, not words, that will get us the vote. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast featured in the WB's Oh What a Night promo. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my factory foreman, Joe Reed. Hello. Hi. Hi. Wait, so, why do I gotta be the factory foreman? He's the bad, he's the worst. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe we're gonna fight this episode. I don't know. We're we gonna have an argument? Fight? I don't want to get my hand burned with a very heavy-looking iron. Like, that looks probably looked... earned it. Listen. I'm good and nice. <laughs> I guess you are, um, I don't know, um, my uh, my political leader uh, giving a speech from a balcony. Uh, yes, I am your um, political leader who's kept shrouded in secrecy because the reveal is Or you are my too decoy amazing. and I am the, uh, you know, the leader of the movement and you are dressed like me being uh taken out the front oh yes that would be my role in the movement yes is i would be the decoy who gets like tackled both merrill decoys yeah i think that's i think that's our uh our lot in life is to be merrill i think our lot in life is to get tackled in the name of merrill streep that probably sounds right that Um, actually sounds fantastic (laughs) honestly (laughs) tackle me queen um <laughs> Tackle anyway, me, Don Gummer. Yeah. So okay. here we are. We are talking about suffragette today. We are two men who uh, are not women. Listen, about the subject of women's suffrage. However, I think we're fine. I think, I think we're we'll fine, fine. But also, uh, just to put that out there, also we're going to get into like the way I think this movie was treated critically unfairly. Um, well. Yes, we'll definitely get into that. It was, it's an interesting, this is an interesting kind of movie for me to talk about. It's, it's, it's sometimes, I feel like sometimes these are the hardest movies to talk about where it's not a bad movie. Yeah, it's I think not there's a, nothing about this that's embarrassing. It's not a great movie. It's a movie that I think its failings are in its kind of middle of the roadishness like it's nothing mm-hmm. 
we haven't seen before in a film. It's not really filmed incredibly interestingly. It's not really, you know, there's nothing in it that, like, is going to knock your socks off or wow you. But there's nothing in it that's objectionable or embarrassing or, like, that kind of thing. So it's tough for me sometimes to articulate what it is about a movie like that that is just like, eh. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there are things about this that are really good. I think there are certain parts of Carrie Mulligan's performance that are quite good. Yeah. And I think there are certain scenes that are really affecting and moving. But I think the general, like, taken as a whole, it's just maybe a little flat or something like that. And this was a movie that had, like, so much pressure put upon it at the time. Um, Did it, though? Because... It- did i remember it having that because it was like this is a movie about uh you know the history of the oppression of women it's also directed by a woman like it feels like that conversation of uh honoring female directors has become more prevalent but like there was still at this time there were people looking towards what were the female directed movies that we could like nominate or recognize and it got to the point where it was like this movie maybe set uh that whole conversation set up this movie to like not succeed on the way that people wanted it to and i think that's unfair to the movie my recollection is that this movie had a good deal of, like, very advanced buzz. I think this was one of those, like, oh, it's Carrie Mulligan and Helena Bonham Carter and Meryl Streep in a movie about women's suffrage, so it has historical import and yada, 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 and it looked really good on paper. And then, like, by the time it got released, it had just, like, gone radio silent. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that was a function of those expectations that you're talking about not being met at the at a festival level and thus by the time it made it to any kind of people that the buzz had really gone away but i just remember this movie being largely ignored mm-hmm. and the time of release sure because it had had the middling reviews most of them written by men um out of telluride and it weirdly didn't play toronto which to me is a little bit of a mistake. Yeah, Um, especially because Toronto was really good that year in terms of how it helped boost Oscar cases. I know, remember remember when uh, Brie Larson won Best Actress and actually, like, thanked the Toronto Film Festival from the Mm -hmm. stage because that was such a good launching pad for that. And, like, I know Spotlight didn't premiere at Toronto, but I remember Spotlight, like, picked up a lot of momentum there. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. I think was one of the runner-up. I know, I'm pretty sure Room was as well one of the People's Choice runner-up. What was the People's Choice winner that year? In 2015. Was it Room? It might have been Room, actually, now now that you mention it. I'm gonna Which look I think that up while we keep talking about this. Because because the fact that Room ended up getting a Best Picture and Best Director nomination, I remember feeling like that reflected well on the people's choice, uh what's the opposite of a curse? Blessing, something like that. <laughs> um But yeah, I think this is a movie where I think because the buzz had really died down by the time it got released, and then the nature of it as a as a sort of middling film made it hard to uh advocate for it 
and ride for it during that award season, it was tough to be like everybody sleeping on Suffragette because you couldn't really latch on to anything great about Suffragette. So it was tough to be like, listen, you're all sleeping on this movie. That's not bad. You know what I mean? It maybe doesn't even like I think Carrie Mulligan's probably the best thing about it and we'll definitely get into Carrie Mulligan. But um, I don't know. Maybe my biggest problem is it doesn't serve her all that well, even though she's clearly working her ass off for it. Um, It's I think she gives the best performance in the movie, but I think there are at least three other characters who seem like they would make for more interesting central characters if that makes sense sure sure like what what well mulligan story to her story is like very similar to it's a fictional one you do have right. uh uh real figures in this movie that into yes. the narrative and like helena bottom carter is a composite character of real people and i think like, those are the ones story Right. That does seem somewhat inconsequential to the narrative. Well, and it's one of those, it feels like it's the weighted average of all of the stories, you know, all of the stories mm-hmm. of people at the time where it's just like, this is what women were going through. They had problems at the workplace. Their husbands would throw them out. They could lose their children, all of the things like that, where I think if you, if this was a movie about Meryl Streep's character or, um, Natalie Press's character, the woman who steps in front of King George's horse mm-hmm. and dies and sort of becomes the symbol of everything by the end. And then you mentioned Helena Bottom's character. Helena Bottom Carter's character is a composite, but even in that compositeness, she seems a little more specific to the mm-hmm. movement. And and I mean, it's legitimate enough to want to follow somebody sort of who you know, represents the masses because this was a movement of masses. This was, you know, this movement succeeded because of, you know, the numbers of all of these women who came out in England uh, to push for suffrage. Yet it's tough. It's, it's tough not to look at other sort of corners of this movie and being like, well, maybe that would have been more dynamic or something like that. Maybe something that uh, toiled more in the, politics of it like the if it was i'm i'm forgetting now streep's character's name who was uh uh pankhurst uh, mrs mm-hmm. pankhurst who maybe that movie is more of like a lincoln thing where she's you know doing you know stratagem and and politics and and that kind of thing or the emily davison character the natalie press uh character is um more of a you know, personal story of sacrifice or, or, you know, something along those lines. None of these, like, these are all, you know, well-worn tropes as well. But Well, that's the thing. Like, all of the narrative choices that this movie and the script makes make absolute sense. But I think the reasons they make sense in some of these tropes and, like, uh, Maud... Carrie Mulligan's character begins the movie as an outsider and then gets uh, yes. wrapped up in the movement herself. Like all of that makes sense. It just I don't know if it does it in a fully like exciting way or a way that makes it feel right. new. Like it's applying these tropes to a different kind of narrative we haven't seen. Right. Um, but like it's again, it's still not bad. It's just no, it's, it's not. not like not great so, it's missing something to be exciting um yeah oh, and i think way, some toronto uh i looked it up room did win the people's choice the runners up were angry indian goddesses and spotlight yeah 
the documentary about the um, fully iconic uh, Jennifer Hudson song. Not Wait. the Best Picture winner. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, Spotlight. I thought yeah, I was back on Angry Indian Goddesses. I was just like, wait a second, what Jennifer Hudson song is that? Oh, but. right, right. That is also a uh, Jennifer Hudson song. Multiple uh, documentaries about single Jennifer Hudson songs that year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was uh, weird that the movie um, that one time she sang Weekend in New England also did very well at Toronto yes. that year. So, yes. Um, yeah, Suffragette. Can I tell you the like the most telling thing about the way that Suffragette has sort of faded into almost total obscurity in merely five years is the Wikipedia... It's a focus feature movie, and you forgot that it was focus features? Well, sort of. Wikipedia lists this movie as being distributed by 20th Century Fox, and it is absolutely a universal focus movie. So, like, I think it's that kind of just, like, casual, just like... I mean, maybe they have some international distribution, but I'm pretty sure... But that's Even, not usually how Wikipedia lists these right. things, right? I don't, think you, I don't think they had the UK rights to it. Hold on. I'm on I'm on IMDb right now. Our beloved Focus Features uh, did not have a great 2015. Their Oscar plays were this and The Danish Girl. Ooh. Well, Danish Girl at least got, like, won an Oscar, which yeah, is... Yeah, it won an know. Oscar, but, like... <laughs> yeah. I mean... I know, quality-wise. won an Oscar for 19 performances. Okay, yeah, 20th Century Fox was the theatrical distributor in the UK, but usually, I mean, whatever, I guess I'm making the argument for Wikipedia to be more American-focused. Well, Focus did a lot of movies with working title in the UK. Um, Yeah. That's that's, uh, an odd uh, collaboration. Anyway, yes, it's, it's the way... I viewed it on uh, Netflix where it is streaming right now. It was Universal Focus. And then there was like a bunch of, it was like Film 4 was involved. And uh, uh, do we pronounce it Pathé? The uh, the, sure. the French, it's got a little accent over the E, right? The little, uh, th- where their studio uh, logo intro is the little, uh, uh, not windmill. Um, what do you call those things? The, the Pathé? thing. The yeah. Pathé logo is the little, like, Diorama, word bubble. Not... It's the little word bubble with the, uh, the whatever. Anyway. Yeah. I don't um, know what those things are called. And I don't know how things in French are pronounced. So we're, uh... Was I the only one during this whole movie who kept singing Sister Suffragette from Mary Poppins? No. You were there with me, I hope. I was not with you. Well, damn it. I was. I was singing uh, Landslide, which uh, is oh! the trailer. Okay. Enough. I, I made sure that you had seen the trailer before we discussed, because, again, we talk about the way films are marketed, and I don't know if there was a universe in which, like, the right trailer would have made Suffragette this, like, blockbuster, yet... This trailer, which is like very traditional, like historical import trailer for the first half, and then it cuts to all due respect to whatever uh, probably Irish woman sang this cover of Landslide, but like this very extra plaintive, and like Landslide's not, you know, this, you know, husky song as it is but like this extra sort of like lilting and plaintive version of landslide as you get these visuals of like women being hauled off to 
jail by the cops and, you know, fighting strenuously against their uh, husbands and whatnot. And it's just like, what? Who approved this? Do you remember right. in what's the movie? Is it The Square where they did that like awful ad campaign for the art exhibit and you're watching them sort of like present it to a room and it's just like so cringy because it's just but, like I mean who? that does sound like The Square. I the think thing it was is, The Square. Like, that player that trailer plays like it is trying to be this like sentimental grab for like Maybe it's not, you know, prestige Oscar, but it does, like, have an audience that, like, not necessarily wide audience, but you get what I'm saying, that it's, like... Yeah. It's more like this is a just a people's movie, you know, which makes the whole not playing Toronto thing so bizarre to me as a strategy, because, like, that's a festival you... T- you aside from award stuff, like, you take it so that it can be seen by real yes. people. You know, and yeah. that would probably be the audience that would get motivated behind this movie and get excited for it. And then certainly the more than Telluride, it was whiffed. Yeah, Telluride is like film critics and billionaires, right? Well, I was going to say, maybe I guess the idea with Telluride is that you're going to get like sort of Hillary Clinton style rich white feminists to get behind it, maybe. I don't maybe. know. Hillary was definitely on the campaign trail at this point. So maybe that's right. what they were thinking. Right. God, 2015. Remember when we thought 2015 was just like, Oh God, this year's terrible. It can't get any worse than this. <laughs> and then uh, oh boy. a sentiment I'm sure we'll revisit often because 2015 is not hurting for this at Oscar buzz titles. That's like, sometimes I yeah. look at our massive spreadsheet and there's just years where I'm like, we'll never get to all of these. And 2015 well, is one of them. And that's because, and I think we see that in these years where there's a lot of sort of uh, Oscar buzz titles that don't do it. And then the actual Oscars that year, it's a really kind of largely exciting lineup where it's like Mad Max Fury Road. And um, even, you know, even the fact that like Room gets a Best Picture nomination felt kind of wild and sort of like against the plan of it all. And the fact that spotlight ended up being so good and like tom mccarthy all of a sudden is a best director nominee and is winning best picture and i don't know i thought there was some really sort of like cool stuff out there with a lot of like there's some you know we mentioned the danish girl uh we've talked about trumbo before being an oscar nominee like not everything that year that not, that's nominated it's no. great but um i think fury road sort of made it a really uh, atypical oscars year and we should also say that, like, on top of being a really fascinating Oscar year, like, if there was anything I personally was super excited about this movie when it was coming out was, like, I love Carrie Mulligan. Um, and it, I loved her at the time. And it was like, this is going to be her big lead play in a movie that, like, yep. doesn't feel super small. Yep. Um, but this Oscar year is an incredibly uh, crowded and tight Best Actress field. Yes, yeah, and we will for sure get into that because I think that's uh, the sort of Oscar conversation that is most interesting in relation to this film. But uh, we should probably do the plot description now yeah. rather than wait. Uh, you, sir, are tasked with it this week. I am. Again, we are here to talk about Suffragette, directed by Sarah Gavron, written by Abby Morgan. 
Cast includes Carrie Mulligan, Helena Bonham Carter, Anne-Marie Duff, Romola Gary, Ben Wishaw, Brendan Gleeson, Natalie Press, Samuel West, and one Miss Meryl Streep. The movie premiered at Telluride and then opened limited uh, October 23rd of 2015. Am I the only person, before we get into this, am I the only person who, like, instinctively sneers at Samuel West now after um, (laughs) Chesil Beach? Because he plays such a, like, rotten son of a gun in the Chesil Beach. Son of a gun even sounds too folksy for that. Like, he's a... Uh, well, I never saw uh, Rockets of Tita on Chesil Beach. <laughs> oh, you um, didn't? Oh, I thought you did. I still haven't that seen That was it a yet. Toronto um, movie. I mean, we'll eventually do that movie. Um, yeah. But, no, we did... I forget what it was off the top of my head. We did another movie with Samuel West. And I think Hyde I Park on Hudson. filmography because I was worried he would be a secret, like, third timer. He was in Hyde Park on Hudson playing yes. King George, who is Opposite Olivia Coleman. Yes, who is not the King George that's referenced in this movie. It's he's the son of that King George. Yep. British monarchy is a challenge. I try to study it whenever I think I'm going to try out for Jeopardy, and it always like fades from my memory after I uh, after I cram about it. But yes. <laughs> Also, uh, since I mentioned it, uh, thinking that Samuel West could be like a third-timers club, already in a short time span, Claire Danes has Meryl Streep catching up to her for a seven-timers club. This is the seventh Meryl movie we've done. Meryl only needed one scene to catch up to Claire Danes. That's how good she is. That this is... is almost like, if Meryl wasn't on the poster, we'll get into the whole Meryl. <laughs> we will. If Meryl wasn't on the poster, it would almost be like an arguing point, like how we still argue about how many movies we've done with Matt Damon in them. Oh, I don't know. I think this is a much more substantial thing than Matt Damon in The Majestic or something like that. Like we'll, it's it's a cameo, but it's like it's a featured cameo. It's a cameo, it's, but they leaned into Meryl being in this movie. They sure did. They like sure they made it seem like it was a did. big deal and the point to the point where the first initial reviews out of Telluride were like, by the way, Meryl's just a cameo. It's just a cameo. It's just yeah. a cameo. Yeah. Because people were predicting Meryl and such. They were. I mean, with good reason. She had just come off of a nomination for Into the Woods, where she is not good. Right. I hate saying that about Meryl, but she's not good in that. She's not good in a couple of her nominations, which I think we've talked about. We have. We don't have to belabor that point. Yes. What we do have to do is a 60-second plot description for Suffragette. Joseph, are you ready? Sure. Let's do this. Can you handle the seasons of your life can you uh handle the changing ocean tides all right i will see your reflection in the snow-covered hills on the other side of this uh, plot description all right joseph if you are ready your 60 second plot description for suffragette starts now it's 1912 in london and the women's suffrage movement is in full swing with civil disobedience giving way to throwing rocks through storefront windows and women getting arrested and thrown in jail carrie mulligan is maud watts a wife and mother who works in a laundry and is sexually menaced by her boss and she ends up getting caught up in the women's movement sort of by accident and kind of in spite of herself but she ends up getting incrementally radicalized the more she sees the righteousness of their cause and the way that the other women are treated and she's thrown in jail multiple times and interrogated by brendan gleason who 
is an inspector who is treating the suffragettes as a kind of terrorist group. Maud's husband throws her out of their house and eventually gives their child up for adoption. He is a monster. Meryl Streep shows up at the end as real-life Emily Pankhurst and gives a speech about stepping it up, and the movement progresses towards bombing mailboxes and MPs' houses, and Helena Bonham Carter has a weak heart but is still fighting, and ultimately a woman named Emily Davison steps in front of King George's horse on a racetrack and dies, and thousands attend her funeral procession, and the newspapers cover it, and over the course of the next 15 years, women eventually get full voting rights in England. Yes, I said 15 more years, but yes, it Time. happened. That yeah. postscript was sobering <laughs> like po- this is one of the movies that i think actually does a good postscript yes that, it's pointed like, it's very pointed they say how how long how much longer it would take from the time that was depicted and like the steps that it had to do it's interesting that they don't unless correct me if i'm wrong they don't mention race because we should mention whenever you're talking about the women's suffrage movement and they depict white women it was an incredibly racist movement and they would always uh up- obstruct any women who were not white from I, the movement. I cut it for time, but I almost ended that description, that plot description with, and today we call them white women voters, because yes. that is, yes. But I also, was I the only one during that, when they started... I think the started... is better intentioned than uh, other depictions that Yes, seen, I think it is. But at the same time, it still bears repeating. It does. Um, but was I the only one watching the postscript when they listed all the countries... Uh, and when they granted women the right to vote. And I literally out loud said, really, Switzerland? Because it was 1971 oh, that yeah. women were able to vote in Switzerland, which, like, what the fuck? I didn't think Switzerland was that fucking backwards. Yeah, a lot. I, that It's a really sobering postscript of you get this slow, and it takes its time, too. Like It the, does. It's where you think you know people are going to be leaving the theater and it's sobering enough that like it would lock you in your seat to watch this very slow scroll of all of the countries and when women got the right to vote and like of course it's not breaking it down into like we see a little bit at the beginning of it with the britain vote like it's right certain women over 30 right um right you know until it was a, a wide vote so it's like some of these countries it makes you wonder like what were the stipulations of women who were right. allowed to vote? Um, I wanted that postscript to be accompanied by a shot of Meryl sort of looking over the tops of her glasses, sort of pointedly at the audience, being like, hmm, like, yeah. <laughs> judgmentally or something. I don't know. Yes, but that is the gist and the plot of Suffragette. I don't think I left out too many subplots or anything like that. Anne-Marie Duff's character... There are certain characters who seem like they're going to be very important to the story and then kind of disappear. Anne-Marie Duff is one of them. Rama Gary is one Uh of them who plays her husband is an MP and she sort of is caught in the middle of wanting to use her station to prevent this. But ultimately she's... What is she? Does she step away or does she cut out or does her husband sort of cow her into staying on the sidelines because we don't see her again until Until carrie mulligan brings her brings her the woman from the laundry who's being uh sexually abused and basically like sends her to shelter at ramala gary's house Mm -hmm. but i'm not sure why she disappeared we do hear that Anne marie duff's character had like disagreements with helena bonham carter over strategy and that's why she stopped being a part of that angle of the story but then mm-hmm. she also shows up near the end. So 
I don't know. I think yeah, maybe... it unfortunately doesn't really serve its cast, because honestly, the one right. who I do want to see more of, who I think is giving a great performance without much to do, is Anne-Marie Duff. I think she's so good. I always um, love her, genuinely. Yeah. Like, she's somebody who... She was in the original British version of Shameless, playing the character that essentially Emmy Rossum plays in the American version. And her love interest in that was James McAvoy. And they ended up getting married for real in 2006. And they were married for like 10 years, like all Mm -hmm. during the like the James McAvoy ascendancy. And they ended up getting divorced in like 2016. And, but I've always really liked her. She's been in stuff like the Magdalene Sisters. She was in Nowhere Boy, I recall. I think she was maybe his mom in Nowhere Boy. Um, Isn't that Kristen Scott Thomas? Maybe. Who is she in Nowhere Boy then? She's someone. Um, Julia Lennon. Yeah, that was his mother. Kristen Scott Thomas is his aunt. Who he lived, who he was lived with, and Kristen was Scott Thomas by. is Paul McCartney in that movie. <laughs> yes, Kristen Scott Thomas is uh, Sergeant Pepper, the real life yes. Sergeant Pepper. Yes, so she's yeah. Eleanor Rigby, and also more, most recently, Anne Marie Duff was in the first season of uh, His Dark Materials on HBO and was really good. So, yeah, Justice okay. for etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, she's really good. I think Natalie Press is really good. That is a character I wish we had more of in this, especially Mm -hmm. given what happens to her by the end of it. I think Gleason does a really good job trying to play the line between being such a total bastard and sort of, by the end, you feel like he respects her for her. He's more like a systemic evil than like the snarling man in the laundry factory. Like he's still bad. Like he still represents everything. Yeah, but like it's it's a way more complicated villain than you might be expecting. He's also one of my favorite working actors. I also love that they cast. We talked about Ben Wishaw in this movie a little bit when we did our Ben Wishaw or Dom, uh, Donald Gleason uh, quiz <laughs> when Katie was on, and I was interested to see that he played her sort of like rotten husband in this movie. And you watch this, and like he's not normally who you would cast as a bad husband in a story like this because he's so slight and mm-hmm. wispy as as his general nature but i liked that he was that guy in this movie where it's like oh no it wasn't Absolutely. just that like this big brutish sort of like you know intimidating person it's just like no the betas were also terrible <laughs> back well, then and as that's well the thing. i think that's one of the things the movie could get more credit for is some of its atypical casting that actually feels more revealing to the subject that we're talking about. Because, like, yeah, we do expect these, like, brutish men constantly, right. like, dominating over these women. Whereas you do have Ben Wishaw in this role where he does absolutely horrible, reprehensible things and not in a like mustache twirly kind right. of way and it he's shows a weak that, like, he's a weak man who makes weak decisions and uh and that like our societies are not just run by brutish men right. behaving poorly and hating women but also the like soft boys like ben wishaw well you see that in the beginning too where it seems like mods mod is the carrie mulligan character and she it seems like 
early on that she's encouraged by this hearing that they have with members of parliament, one of whom is David Lloyd George, who would be prime minister not too far after the events of this movie, I don't think. And um, she's very encouraged by this. I think she's sort of optimistic that he's going to push for a platform that will help advance the women's suffrage cause. And he like totally sells them out. And that's a big part of what makes her so disillusioned and, you know, helps to radicalize her. But I think that's another part of that, too, where it's just like, it's these, you know, ineffective male politicians who give lip service, but don't, you know, have any intention of following through, and won't stick their necks out and that kind of thing. And I think that's pretty effective. Mm -hmm. I also, and I'm sure you felt this way, too, especially during the scene where uh, Emmeline Pankhurst, uh, Meryl Streep's character, is giving her speech, how applicable it is to especially the events of this summer in terms of a lot of like the tut-tutting about the Black Lives Matter movement and why do you have to harm property and is that really advancing your cause and and that kind of thing. And it's interesting. You almost want to like connect the dots for people about just like we agree that what the people who are fighting for women's suffrage in a movie like Suffragette were doing, we agree that they're, that ultimately what they were doing was right. It was a righteous cause. It, you know, a, a storefront uh, being damaged is not the equal to a person being subjugated, like all mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. And you, I, you feel like there are people who would watch a movie like Suffragette and be like, yes, good, go for it. And then might also sort of cluck their tongues at the tactics and of not be able to see the and not connect those dots. Mirror. Right, 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 right. And it's interesting to watch a movie that was made, you know, only five years ago, but is, I think, more applicable to mm-hmm. what's going on right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think. You kind of mentioned, like, it's not fully shot all that interestingly. Like, that's where I kind of felt it a little bit more that I'm like, this should maybe be a little bit more rousing than it is or, um, uh, I guess, enervating something, you know? Like, it well, should have more of a pulse, especially in those moments of the movie. And that's maybe where it's like this movie only ever gets 75% of the way to where yeah. it needs to go. You compare it to a movie, or at least I did, to a movie like Peterloo, which Mike Lee directed a couple years ago, which is mm-hmm. a movie that doesn't have the star power of Suffragette, and yet really manages to make its characters pop more, because it really sort of, as Mike Lee tends to do, sort of really invests in them and gets you in on you know the ground level with them and... Uh, ultimately, what ends up happening with the massacre, uh, the Peterloo massacre, and that is incredibly harrowing for the violence and everything mm-hmm. like that that happened. But it's also just like a really good movie about sort of investing the audience in a movement or, you know, yeah. w- the beginnings of a movement. That and really good. It's really good, like very highly recommended. And I think that's a movie that succeeds where a lot of times Suffragette fails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I thought of it a few times during this movie, especially when you see the sort of the big rioting scenes, which are not which are not ineffective in Suffragette. They're just not as effective as they could be. Yeah. 
What did you think the best scenes for Mulligan were in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, what did you think the best scenes were for Carrie Mulligan in terms of acting in this? I, I mean, I think the about page. the contrast between when she goes to the court and it's early in her right. kind of radicalization and then her interrogation scene with Brendan Gleeson, yeah. both of which scenes have gotten like accusations of heavy handedness or preachiness um, lobbed at them from the reviews that I read. And I think it's silly because those are the two scenes that are like contrasting this character. And like, yes, I think it's probably more of a, I guess for lack of a better word, mainstream or like populist uh, kind of writing for like, exciting an audience or when whatever. she's like general... we use violence because that's the only language that men understand like that kind of a thing right, where it feels right. slogany but like it's a f- i think but it's it effective. is also a scene to that like it's building up to like needing that kind of catharsis or release or someone like putting things so plainly yeah but in terms of her performance i think you see a huge amount of character <coughs> arc in just those two scenes that kind of reflect each other yeah um and I just like watching Carrie Mulligan, like, be really angry but not yell. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I also think the scene, and it's, you know, obviously it's the scene that sort of presses down most on the on the scale in terms of uh, emotion. But the scene mm-hmm. where her son gets taken by the adoptive couple is deeply harrowing. And I think she really shows up for that that part where she just tells him her name because she knows that she's not going to be able to do anything and she wants him to be able to find her when he's Mm -hmm. grown up is really affecting and um i don't know i thought sometimes i think sometimes we tend to see big emotional you know for lack of a better term like weepy scenes like that Mm -hmm. as being cynical or easy or whatever and it's just like sometimes i gotta take a step back and just be like calling upon that degree of emotion and being able to harness it in a way that she does is not easy is is the business of acting but it's it's why i could not be an actor like that like it's really impressive i don't know why i like i still maybe can't it could just be the movie at large isn't getting fully to the station but i don't know why i can't put the thing the pin in it on why i don't think her performance is being served enough to like get her best actress recognition anywhere um but it, it i honestly it. feel she's like doing a great job and maybe partly it's that like she never doesn't show up to a movie she's always fantastic um yeah i don't know I think, honestly, I think if the rest of the movie around her were better and it was something that was in the conversation because the film was better, she wouldn't have to be any better than she is to get a nomination. Because I mm-hmm. think her performance is really solid. And I thought that way about Mudbound, which I know did get some nominations, but didn't really ever approach her on a nomination level, which I think is too bad because I think she really is fantastic in that. Mm-hmm. I thought the same with a movie like Never Let Me Go, which didn't really get any kind of awards attention, even though it was expected to. And I thought she was really fantastic in that. She's, you're right, she does. She always comes to play. And now this year, I'm really wondering, 
It's such a weird year. I'm so interested to see what happens with, with promising, uh, young, promising woman. young woman. Because she's definitely getting buzz. I know Nate Jones, our former guest Nate Jones, put her in his predictions when he uh, kicked off the vulture, uh, whatever, charts that they do. Um, and it's a she's really challenging movie. It is an audacious movie. It's a dark movie. But I really think it goes for something and succeeds in a lot of ways, in many ways. And she's fantastic. But I could see, I could easily see this being a movie that just doesn't sit right with Academy voters. And right. they just like, they go for other options. But she'll, she'll definitely need some noise, I think, not because of the performance, but for the movie and how it's potentially going to sit with Academy viewers. Because, like, uh, it, it, listeners, if you've seen the trailer and you think that it's dark, it's darker. It's darker. Um, it's darker than you um, think. Yeah. But I think it's just one of the more exciting things we've ever seen her do. It yes. feels like a riff on other characters, maybe, but in a way that is utilized differently because like, I mean, we mentioned a bunch of them of her performances and the one I think it's maybe closest to is wildlife, which like truly so, feels like everyone screwed her over for that movie. It's a wildlife, um, Chris. It's a wild, it's life. a wildlife only bad scene in that movie. Um, she's again, wonderful in that movie. That's another one where the buzz never really arrived, but she's fantastic. Promising Young Woman is a hard movie to talk about without going into the details of, and you kind of want people to uh, be able to experience it fresh, but that also means uh, experiencing the full weight of its darkness. Um, If you don't know fully what you're kind of getting yourself into, but at the same time, like I think it's such a tricky tone of a movie that it's like it's not a comedy but it is done with a certain level of wink and wit and yeah. i think it, that's really distilled perfectly in her performance um it's very heightened re- her performance yeah. and the film yeah. but in i don't think i it's think a ways to that- say that the movie is uh on some of the if maybe the movie's not as great as his movies, it's on kind of the stylistic or satirical bent that Jordan Peele's movies are on. That's not a bad comparison, actually. Right. Where I mean, it's like, like, this isn't a horror movie, but like, if it was a horror movie, I think, you know, in terms of like, yeah. the context it's doing, the kind of element of surprise that it delivers. I also think the fact that she's a British actress doing an American accent uh, helps the heightenedness mm-hmm. of that character where she's uh, just a little bit, um, not fantastical, but just like a little bit bigger than life or more uh, out of My place. My joke to you was that she is Mavis Gary's tethered. <laughs> I think that's a really good way to put it. And again, brings up the Jordan Peele thing. It's yeah. I think the trailer sort of suggests this kind of avenging angel kind of a thing where she is out to make predatory men pay for, you know, uh, taking, Their trying predation. to take advantage of women who are drunk at a club and definitely starts out that way. And it doesn't, 
it's not like it reverses course or anything like that, but it goes to a lot more interesting, more complicated, more. It's not like this isn't like Harley Quinn, you know, rampaging through, you know, right. uh, you under the over the process like of the movie, you uh, learn and even question her motives for doing this um, yep. in a way that like is constantly revealing her motivation to not be what you expect it to be. And you see her behave in certain ways that you don't know until later that maybe it's not exactly what you thought you saw. Yeah. Or thought you thought she was doing. Yeah. Um, I was DMing yesterday with uh, my friend Linda Holmes, who uh, from Pop Culture Happy Hour, and she had just seen the movie, so we were sort of chatting about it. And she was really struck by the casting of all the men in the movie, who all mm-hmm. almost uniformly this is have why played we need a casting Oscar have played like uh, n- like sort of quirky nice guys on especially television. You get Adam Brody and Max Greenfield and Chris Lowell. And uh, and then Bo Burnham, who plays a really interesting character, who uh, ends up being a love interest for Carrie Mulligan's character, and she was just like, way way to weaponize this kind of affable, sort of uh, likable men uh, in ways that like really pulls back the curtain on this idea of the nice guy, and. It's again really yeah, in keeping about with a movie that uh, doesn't just set its sights on the bad behavior of macho men in a way that I, right. I thought was really smart and thrilling. This movie has its needles out and they are all sharp and they all uh, really puncture really effectively. I I'm think. just really comforted these days uh, in these unprecedented times. I am uh, comforted by movies that uh, don't give a shit about subtlety. Um, yeah. This movie really does. <laughs> it I does. Mean, there's it. plenty of nuance but it is not subtle in a way that i thought was spectacular yeah so anyway so maybe fingers crossed maybe carrie mulligan can get that second oscar nomination because i remember when she got the nomination in 2009 for an education it was if not a literal debut performance it was essentially a debut performance nobody Mm -hmm. really knew who carrie she had been in pride and prejudice big breakthrough right she'd done like television and theater right but it was for a lot of people it was the first time they had ever heard of carrie mulligan it was a you know big spotlight kind of a role and she got a best actress nomination i remember i think i even clipped this a couple weeks ago when we talked about sandra bullock's oscar speech and she had that moment where she just sort of says carrie your youth and your talent makes me sick (laughs) it's just like that um and that was sort of the sense of just like oh she's gonna be the next big thing the next big i don't know whether you know not necessarily you know, the next Kate Blanchett, but like of that thing where it's just like, oh, this is the new sort of great British actress. And she kept getting roles, but never really got that second Oscar nomination. And always in things that are just like just outside of Oscar's taste or like just didn't work out, like never let me go. Right. Well, one of those roles that I think she was worthy of a nomination if not an outright win was another abby morgan scripted project mm-hmm. i want to sort of uh, pivot into that for a second because abby morgan wrote this movie the that is a screenwriter who came into prominence all at once with multiple project where in 2011 mm-hmm. she wrote shame which carrie mulligan Iron is in lady 
uh, probably deserved an Oscar for, The Iron Lady, which Meryl won an Oscar for. And on television, she did The Hour with Ben Wishaw, um, among other people, which I think she won an Emmy for writing that, I'm pretty sure. So, also, Ramla Gary is in uh, The Hour. Uh, what are Ramla Gary and Ben Wishaw? So, clearly, um, I mean, <laughs> these British actors who sort of show up in each other's projects, like, it's not surprising. But, um, you know, they're, they're a pack that gets shuffled around and we see them in a bunch of things. But anyway, um, so, like, Abby Morgan, all of a sudden, 2011 happens. It's just, like, new, big, like, amazing talent. And Suffragette felt like it could have been a sort of culmination of that. And it wasn't mm-hmm. because the movie sort of... Um, and I don't know if this is necessarily a sparklingly written movie, but um, it is. it does reteam Carrie Mulligan with Abby Morgan. But I think she's... I think Carrie, for as much as people sort of... The, the opinions on shame are kind of all over the map. But, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, and the opinions on her character. She's our supporting actress winner that year. But I think a lot of people also really don't like her performance in that movie because it is... Yeah. It's extra. But... Yeah, she's my supporting actress winner. She's that year. playing a very particular um, kind of person that requires her to have these incredible highs, incredible lows of um, performance. I think the scene where she sings "New York, New York" is a good litmus test for you with that movie. Where if that scene works for you on a kind of um, a dripping mascara, grotesque kind of a level for you then the rest of the movie will also mm-hmm. probably work for you. And for me, it does. And I think for a lot of people, Same. that's when people are just like, well, I'm out. And it's just like, fair enough, I suppose. But um, I think she's great. And yeah. I love that movie. I do too. So uh, Abby Morgan also directed The Invisible Woman in 2013, I should also say, which got an Oscar nomination for, I'm pretty sure, Costumes. costumes. Yeah. So that is a movie about Charles dickens that i thought was pretty boring actually but yeah that movie didn't really have an imprint directed um, by and starring ray fines but yeah anyway ray fines uh casting himself as great writers um always seems to have the same ceiling i'm also thinking of all is true Oh God! You're always thinking of All Is True, though. Is the I thing. know the only people who uh, watch their screeners for All Is True is our beloved AARP movies for grownups. I was going to say, if not for you and the AARP movies for grownups awards, I would never have known what All Is True is. Uh, but Joe, is. is all true? Okay, all right, smart Alec. There we go. There we go. I had to go there. there. <laughs> so, um, before we get into the Oscar year, because I do want to talk about that, we talked about suffragette as being a film that premiered somewhat curiously at the telluride film festival in 2015 we haven't played uh alter egos for a little bit in this on this podcast so i want to do a quick round of alter egos because telluride doesn't have too many films and they're not all ones where you can play it's usually like 25 playing over a weekend Right, but a lot of them are foreign titles and documentaries and things where I'm not going to be able to find recognizable character, you know, names to play this game. Sure, so sure. Uh, this is sort of a, a abbreviated alter egos, and some of these are I tried to make these maybe a little bit more challenging because of it, but I'm sure you will prove me uh, inadequate in that <laughs> for sure. 
Um, so all of the answers for this are movies that played the 2015 Telluride Film Festival. A reminder how we play this game. I give three names of characters. Chris will then have to determine who the actors who played those characters are, and then what was the movie that those three actors were in together. All right, so are we ready? We are very ready. All right, the very first one. Your characters are Stepmother, The Sisters... And Mistress Epps. Wow. The Sisters? Someone playing multiple The Sisters. sisters. Wow. Yes. Uh, stepmother is Olivia Coleman for Fleabag, right? Are you doing TV characters? I will say I don't think I have any TV characters on this one. Sometimes I wow. do TV, but not on this one. Okay. Stepmother, The Sisters, and what? Mistress Epps. Mistress Epps. That is familiar to me. Huh. Okay, so what would have been at this Telluride? Mm, I don't what really are, know if I could work backwards there. Epps is familiar. I don't want to say that's like... Huh. What are movies with significant stepmother characters? stepmom what are stories with significance oh this is carol this is carol because stepmother is uh cape blanchett and cinderella the sisters is rooney mara and kubo and mistress epps is sarah paulson in 12 years a slave very good very good i'm very proud of you yes it's carol which played the 2015 telluride film festival okay next one is carol's um, a christmas movie all of you listeners better be watching it this year (laughs) Okay. Um sorry, wait one second. I want to Alright, the next one is Envy Adams, Elizabeth Proctor, and TikTok McLaughlin. <laughs> Not TikTok McLaughlin. Um Huh. Say those again. Envy Adams, Elizabeth Proctor, and TikTok McLaughlin. Elizabeth Proctor is definitely something I've seen. Proctor. What's a movie with Proctor? And then Elizabeth what? Uh, Envy Adams. Envy Adams. Mm. Okay, so this sounds like multiple women in a movie. Yes. It's, hmm. It can't be Suffragette. It's not Suffragette. Elizabeth Proctor is a character from a great work of literature. Right. Well, a a a, a, a literary a literary uh, play. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, so that's the Crucible. Um. So that is Joan Allen. Um. What other Crucibles were there on film? This is just Joan Allen. Yeah. Joan Allen in a movie in 2015. Oh, boy. Now, Envy Adams, what kind of a character does that sound like to you? I mean, it sounds like an assassin. It's not the Adams family, because it's I not, don't know of an Envy Adams. It's not the Adams family. Um, like, what medium do you think a name like Envy Adams might come from? An action movie? Well, beyond just, like... 
or a horror uh, movie? Beyond genre, what medium? Medium? Yeah. Like, what type of entertainment? Pop. Movies. What's um, a really heightened, like, medium of, uh, of entertainment? MTV. No. No. Where, like... You could write a story that's really fantastical or perhaps... Oh, uh, like fantasy? Sure. Or let's say I just give you the answer and it's comic books. Oh, okay. So it's a comic book character, Joan Allen. Oh, it's Room. Yeah. Why? Duh, Walk us through. Room. Walk us through. Uh, because uh, I... Well, Envy Adams is the uh, Scott Pilgrim character, if that's... Um, Brie yep, Larson. It is. Yes, correct. And then what was the third character? TikTok McLaughlin. TikTok McLaughlin has to be Bill Macy. In do you want to take a guess? No idea. Seabiscuit. No. It is next. William question. H. Macy's. No, I, I want to say on. we're moving on from Seabiscuit. I want to say Golden Globe nomination nominated performance. Yeah, he's in nominated for a major precursor. Yes. All right. Seabiscuit, which I remember defending during our 2003. Minutes. Or as you would Seabiscuit call it, uh, secretary. Secretariat. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, next one is Reed Richards, Brian Italis, and The Grinch. Oh, okay. So The Grinch is Jim Carrey. Or Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, Which do you think is more likely a Telluride in 2015? Benedict Cumberbatch. And Benedict Cumberbatch in 2015 would have been there for the Imitation Game. It's not the Imitation Game. That's 2014. Oh, fuck off. Um, (laughs) What would Benedict Cumberbatch have done in 2015? Um, Smaug rises again. Um... You know, you know at least one of these other two names, right? Uh, you said Reed Richards or something like that. Reed Richards and Brian Tallis. Reed Richards is really familiar. Um, I would have thought Brian would have been the one. Brian? Yeah, oh, you said Brian Tallis. Yeah. Oh, why didn't I catch that? That is, um, it's either Ramal Gary or. Sersha, or Vanessa Redgrave. Right. From Atonement. Uh, it's not Sersha, because I don't think she had anything other than Brooklyn that year, and Brooklyn didn't go to Telluride. Um, Vanessa Redgrave? Maybe? Or Ramala Gary? Reed Richards is another comic book character, by the way. Right. Sound That tracks. Um... Hmm. I feel like it's going to be Vanessa Redgrave, but I don't know what she was in with Cumberbatch. Um. Oh boy, what was Benedict Cumberbatch in that year? Help me out with Reed Richards. All right, Reed Richards is the lead character of a famous um, quartet in comic books. Oh, okay, so the Fantastic Four. Right. Um, it's not going to be Miles Teller. Um, who was the other? Ian Griffo? <laughs> right. What uh, so was it's him and Benedict Cumberbatch. And 
Rama Laguerre or Vanessa Redgrave. I don't know if I know what this movie is because I don't know if I've recognized Ian Griffo in a movie in um, since Fantastic Four, maybe. <laughs> it's about the writing of a famous song. A famous song. Is it that Amazing Grace movie? It is that Amazing Grace movie. Why the hell was that? That great... wasn't the Amazing Grace of the documentary Amazing Grace that took years to... They kept programming it at um, Telluride and Aretha. Oh, maybe I got them. the titles confused then. You that could bastard. Be. You're right, because Amazing Grace is from like way earlier. Sorry. It's like 2005. I totally got the titles confused. You're right. <laughs> Sorry. Oh it was God. the Amazing Grace that was the... Uh, was they it Sydney Pollack? program that uh, yeah. several years worth of Tiff and Telluride, and Aretha kept putting <laughs> yes. a stop on it. And All right. then I think it was it right before she died that they she actually approved a release of it. I think that's true. All right, that's my bad. I put you through um, torture for no reason. So well, sorry. Writing this down, and I will absolutely uh, give you your comeuppance when you least expect it in okay. some type of way. All right, all right, all right. Next one: uh, Rochester, Bitsy Bloom, and Pumbaa. Bitsy Bloom is probably from the Brothers Bloom. Um, it's not, and but that's a great is, assumption. Well, I've never seen that movie. I should. Um, Pumbaa is either uh, well, that's got to be Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. Is it Steve Jobs? It is Steve Jobs. Walk me through it. Uh, well, uh, what else would Seth Rogen have at Telluride? Um, what were the first two names? Rochester and... Which Bits- is um, Fastbender in some action movie I will never see, like Jonah Hex. It's in the action movie Jane Eyre, actually. But Oh, great, great. <laughs> I have seen that movie. Um and um, I, I didn't think you would have seen the movie that Kate Winslet plays Bitsy Bloom, but I did want to just get it out there on the record. Is it Romance the, and Cigarettes? No, it's, um, oh, it's what's the life of David Gale. Her character in the life of David Gale is oh, named I have seen that. Bitsy um, Bloom for pizza. Eventual, um, this had Oscar buzz movie whenever we feel like cringing for nine days. Here's an um, asterisk I want to put on this though. Um, in looking this up and trying to find a Michael Fassbender character, there is a period of time that spans about two years in his career where he plays four. He's in four movies where he plays the title character. Wow. Do you want to take a guess? Um, Steven jobs, Steve jobs. Uh, yes. Uh, Frank. Frank, I was going to say, one of which is a movie that keeps coming up on quizzes. We keep talking about Frank on this podcast. Yes, we do. Um, It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, Also directed by Lenny Abramson, the director of Room. Yes. (laughs) Um, uh, Okay, what were his other ones? None of the X-Men, not Shame. He doesn't play like William Shame in Shame. He doesn't. Wouldn't it be great if he did? It did. Um, Hmm. The problem is he was in four billion movies at that time. Right. But again, they were all within two years of each other. So two, within two years of Frank and uh, Steve Jobs. I mean, that's a lot of movies. One of which is um, uh, an adaptation of a great work of literature. One of which is a film... A flop by a very, very prolific director. Oh. 
Yeah, I don't know if I have these. I feel like I should, and they're going to be embarrassing the second you say them. They won't be embarrassing. It's that's why it's a tough it's a tough uh, question. Okay, who's like the greatest writer ever? Shakespeare. Right. Oh, it was a title character of Shakespeare. Right. It's not Coriolanus. It's not. What Shakespeare adaptations came out? Um, Is Coriolanus another one where Ray Fiennes writes himself as uh, the or directs himself as the main character? Yes. Yeah, that's funny. All right. Um, What's like the two most famous Shakespeare plays? Oh, Macbeth. 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 Yes. Okay. All right. That movie's fine. Cotillard is good. The last one, again, flop by a very prolific director, a very star-studded cast, and it's not necessarily... (laughs) The title of the film is not necessarily a name. Meaning... It's he he is the title character, but the title isn't a name you're saying? Right. His character's name is uh his job, essentially. The counselor? The counselor. Okay. Isn't that wild though? That like in that span of time he played he was Steve Jobs guess, and Steve Jobs, yeah, Macbeth yeah. and Macbeth, Frank and Frank, and the counselor and the counselor. Anyway. He was I famously not the title character of the snowman. He plays right. a, a man named Harry Hole. <laughs> right. Which I do believe is pronounced Hulla, but whatever. We're not, doing we're, not we're, we're, we're in Harry America Hull. right now. Okay. Uh next one. Um Rochester, Ramses, and Thomas Edison. So a different Rochester. Yes. Um well, Ramses is uh, Joel Edgerton. What was the third name? In what, though? Remind our uh, listeners. In Exodus, Gods, and Kings. That's right. Uh, check out our previous episode. Um, third one is Thomas Edison. Oh, okay. So Edison and a different Rochester. Yes. Who else did a Jane Eyre? It's not a Jane Eyre. I'm being a full asshole when I put in Rochester. God like, p- please focus on the other thing ones. that I expected it to be. Um Say that third name again. Thomas Edison. Thomas. Okay, so who's played Thomas Edison in a movie that wasn't 1776? I don't think he's in 1776. Oh, it's got to be someone from the uh, the current war. Right. Who was the current war? Which would have... No, that's not this. Um, Thomas Edison. Was that Michael Shannon? No, he was the other one. He was Westinghouse. Is that Benedict Cumberbatch? It's Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch, Joel Edgerton. Is it Black Mass? It is Black Mass. I'm glad you got it from the other two because Rochester is Johnny Depp in The Libertine. (laughs) Yes. All right. Next one. Black Mass. Yes. Terrible movie. Do you remember when that was at all of the festivals and everybody was really predicting it for Oscar success? It was at all of the festivals a week before it opened. Ugh. Brutal. Terrible movie. Okay. Next one, Bruce Wayne, Lyndon B. Johnson, and Russell Hammond. Uh, okay, Russell Hammond is familiar. Bruce Wayne, 2015, so it's Clooney or Christian Bale. It's definitely not Val Kilmer. Oh, no, 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 no. It's Michael Keaton. It's Spotlight. It is Spotlight. Walk me through the other ones. Um, the second name you said was... Lyndon uh, B. Johnson. Lyndon B. Johnson, which is Liev Schreiber in The Butler. Correct. And the third name you said was... Russell Hammond. Russell Hammond, which is a... 
Ruffalo character? Nope. It is a Tucci character. Nope. Okay, it's a slattery character. <laughs> no, you're running out of male stars of this Brian one. Darcy James. Nope. <laughs> uh, oh, it is... Uh, it, God damn it. God damn it, I always forget. I remember Brian Darcy James in this movie before. I remember Billy Crudup is in this movie. Russell Hammond is almost famous. Correct. Very good. Okay. Uh, Remus Lupin, Allegra Geller, and Francis Dollarhide. Uh, Remus Lupin is Daniel Thewlis. David Dollar Thewlis. David Thewlis. Um, Dollarhide is... I know that. What was the middle name again? Allegra Geller. Sure. Thewlis in 2015. Indeed, Thulis and It's not like an Adam Agoyan movie, is it? It's not an Adam Agoyan movie. No. Uh, Allegra Green. Allegra Green sounds like an Allegra Geller. Allegra Geller. Maybe it doesn't. Allegra Geller is a character from a film directed by a director who's who you sort of went on a bender with his films oh, earlier Cronenberg. this year. Right? Uh, okay, Allegra Geller is... What one is that from? It's not from Crash. Not from Crash. It's... Nope. Is it from, like, Cosmopolis? Nope. It is a film that I love. Existence. Yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Death Jennifer to the Demoness of Allegra Geller. Yeah. Uh, and the third one was Dollarhide. Francis Dollarhide. Francis Dollarhide is a f- is a famous um, villain monster uh, yeah. killer from two movies. Uh, McAvoy. No. Um, You're thinking of uh, of Split. It's not. It's yeah, not I hate Split. those movies. No. Um, um, he's from a movie where another character is a much more famous uh, serial killer. In fiction, is Dollarhide uh, a, a um, Hannibal Lecter character? Yes, Gary Oldman. Nope, that's uh, Mason Verger. Yes, um, think of a different oh movie from um, that. Francis Dollarhide is not in. And this isn't from a TV, so this isn't the Hannibal television show. No, but it's this, he, this character was also in the Hannibal television show. Yeah, so it's got to be Red Dragon, is it Rafe Fiennes? No, but that Red Dragon was the same story as Tom told. Tom Noonan. Yes. Oh, it's, if you put Tom Noonan first, it's, it's Anomalisa. It is, uh, well, David Thewlis is the main character in Anomalisa, right? Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. David Thewlis this was evil. Jennifer Jason Lee, Tom Noonan are all the voices from Anomalisa. Charlie Kaufman's Anomalisa. Okay. Last one. Daisy Buchanan, Miss Havisham, and Yolanda Johnson. <laughs> Daisy Buchanan is Carrie Mulligan, so it is absolutely suffragette. Right. What are the other ones? Miss Havisham is Helena Bonham Carter, and the third one you said, I'm guessing, is Meryl. Yolanda Johnson. Do you remember what that's from? No. Um, 
That I is her character in A Prairie Home Companion. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that movie. I do as well. Very good. Good job with Alter Egos. Thank I'm glad we you. Were Some of those were again. very evil, uh, including a movie that was wrong. Yes, fine. I was, I was <laughs> dumb. I was a dumb dumb. Okay, anyway. Back to... Suffragette. Let's okay. So let's talk about the 2015 Oscars now that we're we've yes. enmeshed ourselves in all the big 2015 uh, awards season plays. Um, best actress that year. I always remember who those five were because that was that one um, image where they it was the lineup of all five women and it was like oh it's the story of one white woman as she ages throughout her life <laughs> where it was <laughs> yes Sersha in Brooklyn Sersha Ronan in Brooklyn. Jennifer Lawrence in uh, uh, Joy, Joy, Brie Larson in Room, Kate Blanchett in Carol, and Charlotte Rampling in 45 Years. It's a great lineup, though, honestly. Yeah. Be- especially I mean, because you and I both think that Jennifer Lawrence is great in Joy. Jennifer Lawrence in Joy, I wonder if she or Charlotte Rampling are fifth place. Um, right, because Rampling, it, was, it seemed very touch and go, Rampling, although she... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, she was the one that, like, had to be, clearly was the one that, like, had the, like, heavy campaign. It's one of the few nominations IFC ever got. Um, and, like, was one yeah, of the, Yeah, like, IFC is weirdly bad favorites. at Oscar campaigning. I don't think they have the money, is what it is. Um, and it's just not their audience. It's not what they go for. Yeah. It, um, but, like, yeah, it had to... It did the full festival run that year. It was a um, a critical favorite. Like, I mean, you watch the performance, and you totally um, you totally get why she would be nominated. But like, yes. it's a small movie. It took up until the very last minute of people finally catching up to it, and like, you watch the performance, and you see, yes, they're going to vote for that. Um, so it's like. She was one of those ones that you felt the confidence throughout the year that, like, that will happen for Oscar, even though it's not happening for, like, SAG. Well, if you remember, too, the chaos of this year was that the Golden Globes nominated both Rooney Mara in Carol and Alicia Vikander in The Danish Girl as leads, because they Mm -hmm. both are. Like, Rooney Mara is the POV main character in Carol, Kate Blanchett is also a lead, but like that's a two lead movie. And Alicia I forgot Vic- that Kate Winslet got the supporting globe, and honestly, I think that's great. <laughs> oh, for she's for so Steve good. Jobs, yeah, she's yeah. fucking fantastic. I love her in that movie. I absolutely, she should have won the Oscar as well. Well, Rooney Mara should have won the Oscar, but like that is a lead role. It's goddamn it, right? Anyway, I so, hate I hate the category fraud conversation, especially I now. do too. But like, come um, on, but like. It, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty egregious year for it. So the Globe drama was Brie Larson, Kate Blanchett, and Rooney Mara in Carol, Alicia Vikander in The Danish Girl, and Saoirse in Brooklyn. And then Jennifer Lawrence wins the comedy, the musical or comedy one for Joy, which made everybody so mad. And I could... I mean, Melissa McCarthy for Spy was nominated and should have won, like, hands down. But I mean, Jennifer Lawrence was never not winning that Globe. Of that course, was the thing about people getting mad right. about that, right? Because people hated the movie, even though like it's an interesting, it's a really interesting movie. movie it's a it's a messy movie, but I think it's, but one I think of it's her best performances. I agree. I agree absolutely. And then the SAG Awards. <laughs> this was it was they. This is wild. This is like one of the proof of uh, not proof of concept, but like if you ever want to see how SAG 
like when they're clearly voting, like early campaigning always helps with SAG. Getting screeners to everyone always helps with SAG. Yes. Like this lineup is wild. So this one, they had put Vikander and Rooney Mara back into supporting because I think SAG is what the one where the movie puts you in the category that they want you in, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are submitted by the studio and and they can control that. So they were both in supporting. Vikander wins. Lead was Brie Larson in Room, Kate Blanchett in Carol, Saoirse Ronan in Brooklyn, all three of whom who would go on to Oscar nominations. Then they nominated Helen Mirren for Woman in Gold, which is hilarious. Can't wait to do on whatever the hell that movie is. Um, is that Army Hammer is also in that movie? No, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's even it's better. It's a actor opposite uh, Helen Mirren. Simon Curtis, man. Like, yeah, we definitely do have to do an episode on Woman in Gold for sure. And then Sarah Silverman in I Smile Back, which was the uh com- comedic actress in a like real bummer ass drama that played Sundance I'm pretty sure or it, did... it definitely was at TIFF because I think they did like you know when they select the actors to get the talkbacks basically yeah um, I think she was one of them it was one of those it's I, it felt like somebody watched Take This Waltz where Sarah Silverman I think is great playing a supporting character she's an mm-hmm. alcoholic she's friends with uh, Michelle Williams and it's a generally there's some comedic sort of like hints to that, but like it's a generally dramatic performance. And somebody saw that and were like, we are going to make that into a whole movie. And it's going to be Sarah Silverman going through some shit. And apparently the like the screener campaign for that was like very aggressive in terms of, I think it, that was that one of those where it was like the first screener that went out to people or something like that Possibly. that year. But Possibly. like she gets that I nomination. Think Grandma was the first screener to go out to uh which did get a globe nomination for Lily Tomlin deservedly yeah. so she was great. Um but yeah, so absolute chaos at the Sags and then so the Oscars take one look at that and are just like, well, no. And we'll do Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence who we love and we'll do Charlotte Rampling in 45 year uh, uh 45 years which is a wonderful uh, nomination need. Helen Mirren was nominated twice at that SAG for Woman in Gold and for Trumbo, and she didn't get a nom- an Oscar nomination for either one of them, which is... Yeah, this is the... Uh, SAG loves Helen Mirren. This is where it's like, yeah. up until the last second, people are predicting her to be nominated for Oscar for Hitchcock because of SAG. Right. Like, what year was that? 2014? Um, maybe. Maybe. 13? Something. Something. Um, the but, spread in 2015 is so good, though, that, yeah. like, there's a lot of people who really didn't even get close, like Charlize Theron in Mad Max, who got a Critics' Choice nomination, but was, like, never in play yep. for an Oscar nomination. Now I'm trying, I want to bring up mine, being self-indulgent as I am, because I want to, <laughs> um, obviously, I loved the two leads in Carol intensely. And yeah, pencil them in right there. Yeah, for sure. Um, give me a second. Yeah, it's a really interesting year. This was also the year that like supporting actor was absolutely uh, ca- absolute chaos, where Michael Shannon kept showing up for Ninety Nine Homes, a movie that like I'm pretty sure nobody saw, and Idris Elba won the SAG for Beasts of No Nation, and like the Netflix pushback was significant that year at oscar nomination but that was also the sag the sag awards that happened right after 
Oscar So White happened with the mm-hmm. all-white uh, Oscar nominees. So, like, Idris Elba, who wasn't even nominated for an Oscar, wins the SAG. And it's just like, yeah. And he had also won uh, for television for Luther that year as well. And, like, uh, like four of the six acting winners in television were, were black actors. So it was uh, felt like uh, pushback of some sort in that uh arena but uh give me one second i'll find my best all right so my best actress for 2015 is oh, this is interesting so it's it's kind of almost entirely the oscar lineup it's Kate blanchett brie, uh, brie larson rooney mara charlotte rampling and then in a tight race for fifth i have nina haas in phoenix over so good. emily blunt in sicario yeah, but this year also I love Emily Blunt in that movie, and she never showed up anywhere. It killed me not to include Blythe Danner for "I'll See You in My Dreams," who is so good. And in fact, now in retrospect, it I would might be on my list. I might, I might put her in over, I guess Brie Larson. Even though I really do think Brie Larson is fantastic in Room, and it's a very well deserved Oscar win. Um, I don't think Sersha shows up on either of ours either, and that's just such a great performance. Sersha's in my top ten. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence for Joy in my top 10. Greta Gerwig for Mistress America is in my top 10. Yep. Um, uh, Tao Zhao in Mountains May Depart was that year. She's on my five. She's amazing in that. Lily Tomlin in Grandma. Melissa McCarthy in Spy. Uh, Juliette Binoche in Clouds of Sils Maria. Uh, Margot Robbie in Z for Zachariah. It's a really good year. It's a really good year for actresses. My five would be the two Carol actresses, Xiao Tao, Charlotte Rampling, and... Wait, what did I say was my fifth? Uh, Blythe Danner? I, I closed my tab. Blythe uh, Danner, yeah, I think Blythe Danner, Blythe yes. Danner. Yeah. Blythe Danner and, and uh, Lily Tomlin that year. That was the big... Um, Sam Elliott, because it's Sam Elliott in both of those, right? Yes. Sam Elliott Elliott, shows up to romance uh, your grandma kind of movie. Yeah. um, In a bunch of his movies. Well, he's also like crying in grandma too. Yeah. So everybody thought it would be grandma. Who's your sixth place? Emily Blunt and Sicario. Oh, okay. My sixth place is Charlize. Yeah. Charlize is probably on my longer list. Um, I think that was one of those things where I was, I think I was very much planted my flag in. Mad Max is a visuals movie and not a performances movie, even with the exception of Nicholas Holt, who I think is probably my winner that year for supporting actor. Mm. Um, but I was like, I See, think that's with- like Charlize in that movie is me planting in my flag, and like that's the movie star performance. I mean, I think you're right. I don't. I mean, you're definitely you're not wrong. Uh, I think that's a very like Sigourney Weaver in Aliens kind of a thing, right? Your action heroine, uh, leading leading lady kind of a thing. I wouldn't argue against it for sure it's just uh, it's farther down my list but yeah great year for best actress here's the secret they're all great years for best actress yes yes you cannot lose <laughs> yeah notedly neither of us said maggie smith lady in the van which was globe nominated absolutely BAFTA nominated oh what was the bafta do you have that in front of you uh i have all of the tabs open if you are curious yeah. um 
Charlize was the only like outlier at Critics' Choice. Um, BAFTA was Brie Larson in Room, Carol um, for Kate Blanchett, Sersha for Brooklyn, Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl, and Maggie Smith for Lady in the Van. Lady in the Van is a thoroughly unwell movie. Uh, <laughs> my goodness gracious. Yeah. And then the uh, other... Gl- Spirit had uh, an interesting lineup. Oh, let's hear Brie Larson wins. Uh, Carol, Kate Blanchett. And Rooney Mara, Belle Powley for Diary of a Teenage Girl, great, and uh, Katana Kiki Rodriguez for Tangerine, great. That was That's was cool I think that was during the era where indie spirits were really dovetailing closely with the Oscars in a way that I didn't love. Where yeah, I was like we. There- it's a whole stretch of it. I think Indie Spirit this year will finally be interesting again. Well, but maybe not, because I think part of the reason why the Indie Spirits and the Oscars started sort of becoming closer in terms of overlap is the Indie Spirits got a little more mainstream, but I think the Oscars got a lot more indie. So I think that was a big that's, function of it. That's fair. And I, I think I mean, that could this happen this true. year as well in a big way. I think the Oscars could end yeah. up going real indie because what else, you know, what's the option beyond some of these bigger... Well, and I'm still skeptical that they're going to get Best Picture to Netflix. Um, well, the thing about Indie Spirits, which is like, I'm not trying to look down my nose at Indie Spirits uh, with this, but it is true. Their nominating committee, I think, is one thing, but to actually vote on the Indie Spirits, you can pay like a hundred bucks or 75 bucks to be like i know i always say we should do that let's do that next year let's make that a thing uh, i mean we could be obnoxious about it i don't know well but like that's the thing if you're having a large voting body no matter what and this is true of oscar too the larger your voting body the more likely i think it is to support a more mainstream no that's that's thing everybody knows that's statistics Yeah, yeah yeah yes yeah but anyway um I'm really interested, actually, to see which how the indie spirits go. And I do think they'll be, be really interesting nominees. I just think the Oscars may have to sort of go that way as well. But we'll see. It'll be, it'll we'll be really see. interesting. We'll I think see. all awards this year are going to end up being really interesting to see what they end up going to. And I'm sure... Glow comedy is going to be unwell okay wait so where so let's let's lay this out i tweeted out i tweeted out the other day i'm like uh something something robert de niro in the war with grandpa (laughs) because like there's no comedies and like so many of the comedies like uh the john stewart movie have been terrible right really Um, terrible yeah what else do we even have that's actually a really i mean there's musicals the prom's going to like the prom's definitely going to get nominated like Um, to the point where it could end up getting like meryl and the the teen girl everybody be ready to get mad that james corden is nominated there's like no way around it's going to happen his performance is categorically offensive i wonder if Um, gold derby has predictions on that give me a second i hate like defaulting to gold derby because it feels like you know cheating but uh (laughs) golden globe golden globe i mean i wouldn't be surprised to see the john stewart movie show up just because it's like Steve Carell. All right, so On the Rocks, which you love and I really like as well. Yes, I I love On the Rocks. Borat. Palm Springs, which I love and you kind of like. I don't. Or you don't like it at all. Okay. I like Kristen Milotti in the movie, but I don't care for the movie. I'm not a Sandberg fan, but I think Andy Sandberg will absolutely be nominated. I Here's the thing. I think Andy Sandberg's really funny, generally, and especially in this. Um, but I think Kristen Milotti is the one I'm writing for in that for sure. They've got Promising Young Woman categorized as a comedy, which 
Eyebrow raise, but good for that film's chances. Wit, it does not mean comedy. No, but you know what? Uh, If it helps that movie get nominated, fine. Um, Let Them All Talk, which is starting to get good reviews. The Soderbergh movie for HBO Max, which I am excited about. Is that going to be eligible? I don't understand. Yes, it will be. It'll be eligible just like On the Rocks is eligible. Like On the Rocks got a... But On the Rocks was in theaters. Where? Uh, Here in my hometown. Oh, was it really? Well, anyway, yes, it was. I mean, I think it's it's all. Oscars said that if you if you premiere on you know streaming, but you right. know whatever they changed that rule for this year. Um, French Exit is uh, listed as a possible comedy. All right, so let's go I to don't actress. Think that's going anywhere? Actress in a comedy or a musical. We're really giving the listeners what they want, what they want right now. Okay, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer in French Exit, Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman, uh, Streep in The Prom. Anya Taylor-Joy and Emma, which I think is really cute. Rashida Jones. The uh, breakthrough actress in The Prom, too, probably. Uh, yes. Um, uh, I can never remember her name, but yes. I'm telling y'all, Nicole Kidman is going to be a Globe nominee for The Prom for 10 minutes of movie. Oh, I don't know, because right now it seems like they've got a lot of options. Kristen Milioti in Palm Springs. Well, supporting. She'll oh. be nominated in supporting. In, they don't? Do supporting in musical or comedy? I think there's enough. Yeah, but it's. I think she'll still oh, be boy. nominated. You are. I think watch the prom me out. be the Golden Globe nomination leader. I'm seeing nomination uh, predictions for Millie Bobby Brown in Enola Holmes in actress and comedy. I'm seeing predictions no. for Rachel McAdams no. in uh, Eurovision. These that seem... would not be a bad nomination. That would be cool. Our darling friend Matt Jacobs has predicted Evan Rachel Wood in Kajillionaire, which would be interesting That's quite possible even I though i hate uh miranda july's movies. i think you're really gonna like that movie joe ellen pellman is the name of the other actress in the prom by the way yes. the younger actress in the prom so you deserve it over meryl all right and now best actor in a musical or a comedy because we have to give equal time because we are compelled by the law or something um okay uh, bill murray obviously on the rocks everybody's predicting him and supporting for the oscars but they're predicting him in lead for this that makes sense sasha baron cohen for borat doy people love that movie apparently i don't think i will see it i don't care i am to borat what you are to andy samberg i think um, <laughs> no you are more hostile towards oh boy here's a trio that you will absolutely hate andy samberg for for palm springs dev patel for personal history of david copperfield and pete davidson yeah. for the king of staten island Yikes. honestly dev patel is innocent in my uh dislike for that movie i I wouldn't be mad if he won the globe for that movie. I wouldn't be mad if he I think Patel, I think it, I think Bill Murray or Sasha Baron Cohen is going to win the globe. But I think Def Patel as a nominee is a good um alternative there. I think he's great. I'm definitely seeing uh James Corden predicted. I will be annoyed and pissed if Pete Davidson gets nominated for King of Staten Island. That will be the one yeah. that really annoys me. I feel like they're more likely to do something stupid like Robert De Niro in The War with Grandpa than that Judd Apatow movie that doesn't exist for an actor that no one likes. Um, I think, okay, I'm going to dispute that because I don't like Pete Davidson and you don't like Pete Davidson, but clearly there is an apparatus out there that is dedicated to promoting and pushing Pete Davidson because he keeps getting good press and... You know, people keep wanting do, to like support like, him. Interviews for that movie because like the Hollywood Foreign Press is super susceptible to like, you know, you showed up to a junket 
And I don't think he would do that. That's a good point. The other, the name I'm seeing that really like made me flip my lid is Keanu Reeves for Bill and Ted Face the Music. Go, I mean... go with Jesus. Like find find religion. I don't know. Do something. <laughs> go outside. Go. Um... <laughs> we can't. There's we can't. A, there's we disease can't. outside. Okay. So anyway, Golden Globe comedy. You're right. Is going to be Looney Patoonie for sure. Okay. Anything else we want to say about Suffragette? Because we are uh, getting on in, in far time. field. Um, I, like we said, it's not. Uh, I think it deserves less <laughs> knives out for it. The, I was surprised to see the Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes uh, scores for it, which is like. Middling. More middling yeah. than anything. But, like, I remember just, like, people trashing the movie. So maybe it was just, like, a few of the key male critics were doing so. But, like, it deserves, I think, no ire in terms of quality. It's just, like, it's just, you know, it's almost there. Yeah, I agree. The only other note that I have that we touched on a little bit, but, like, honestly, truly, the scene where uh, Meryl Streep, uh, as um, like once again, I keep forgetting her character's name. It is Pankhurst. I want to keep saying Parkinson, but that is not correct. Emmeline oh, Pankhurst. Ooh, different movie. Um, when Meryl Streep. You know one good thing that has uh, gone away with COVID. What? That uh, we can maybe celebrate that I don't, as far as I know, that it exists this year. The Hollywood Film Awards, also known as You Have a Publicist. Yeah. Uh, Film Awards, which Carrie Mulligan did win Actress of the Year for. Hollywood Film Awards were always like given out in the summer. Is that movies that aren't even finished yet? Yeah, that's very. I always loop those in with like the Santa Barbara Film Festival and exactly. You know, whatever. Okay, um, but yeah. So the 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 scene where uh, Pankhurst is in the carriage, and we only see like the bottom of her face briefly and like we see her uh her hand sort of like reach out and whatever and she's very much shrouded and i'm just like oh this is just sort of like meryl streep arriving on set for real (laughs) where it's just like everybody's whispering and like i think i saw her and and it's i mean like it is thoughtful casting too where it's like you cast the actress superstar in this role of yeah. Like oh, yeah. Incredible figure. Well cast role, even if putting her on the poster is misleading as as all get out. But yeah. 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 All right. Do we want to do? Well, you're the host of this episode. You asked me if I want to do an IMDb. <laughs> Joe, would you like to move into the IMDb? Game? See, that's a very promposal way of you asking me, and I accept your promposal. No, the only promposal, I have to do a full musical number about <laughs> promposals. Once I see the prom, it's over for you, Hose, in which, by which I mean, I will probably not want to talk about it, but uh, you will watch it and you will think it is fine because it is fine. Yeah, okay. Good. Is is my darling um, uh, Ariana DeBose. How is Ariana DeBose? Oh, she's lovely. She had my favorite song in it. I'm so... That I think is absolutely fine and not catchy i'm so sad for her because this was supposed to be her year because west side story was supposed to come out and she plays anita in west side story and i have loved her ever since so you think you can dance and she was also in bring it on on broadway which i loved and um (laughs) she was also in hamilton but like she's wonderful and i love all my so you think you can dance children and uh, good for her. And any time that Netflix can give me in the same month um, Ariana DeBose and Debbie Allen, I can't be mad at that. So, yeah. 
Anyway. All my favorite songs in The Prom were hers. Oh, good. Oh, that's wonderful. All right. Anyway. Uh, yes, I would like to play the IMTB game to answer your question cool. from a would while like ago. Would you like to explain uh, to our listeners, young and old, meek and bold, <laughs> um, what the IMTB game is? Hey, listeners. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game. What's the IMDb game, you ask? Well, it's a game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. What if some of those titles are television? Well, we tell the person up front. And if they're voiceover, we do the exact same. We mention that because we are good and fair people. After two- We're also people who like to have, um, shockingly to what you might think from our episodes, we do like to have a fair amount of structure in our life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pause for laughter, but yes. Um, after two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. We love clues. If that's not enough, it becomes a free-for-all of hints because we love free-for-alls. And that, dear listener, is the IMTV game. Cool. Joseph, would you like to give or guess first? Why don't I give first? Okay. So we talked briefly about Abby Morgan. I mentioned that one of the films that she wrote was the screenplay for The Invisible Woman, the Ray Fiennes film The Invisible Woman. The lead actress in The Invisible Woman is one Felicity Jones. So, Uh Chris... Give me that Felicity Jones. The Aeronaut herself. The Aeronaut herself, exactly. The woman who Um. does belong in a balloon. (laughs) Is my... Uh. Wait, I gotta check really quickly and see if my Twitter bio quote is still, I'm a really good astronaut. Or aeronaut, I said astronaut, that's dumb. Wait, all right, checking, checking, checking. I'm a really good aeronaut is my goddamn Twitter bio. Maybe I should change that. Maybe not. <laughs> no, never. Never. Don't you dare. I'm always a very good You aeronaut. know, it's it's reaching the cycle where if someone saw that it might not be funny, but a year from now it might it will be funny. <laughs> it yeah. will be funny. I would love to see the percentages of people who read my Twitter bio and get that it's a joke about the film The Aeronauts. But we'll, uh, we'll... I have to imagine if somebody <laughs> is A following you on Twitter, B going to your profile, yeah. they're gonna get the joke. All right. Okay. Felicity Jones, Rogue One. Yes. Uh, Rogue One, which gets better and better in my memory every year, honestly. Like, I really... It's such a mess. You can tell that they redid everything. Oh, I think it's so good. It's good, but it's such a mess. Oh, I Um, love it. I love it. Like, I enjoy it. Um, On the basis of sex. No. Sorry, RBG. Mm. May you rest, but on the basis of sex is not one of her known for. Poor Mimi Leader. Um... Theory of Everything. Correct. Her Oscar nomination. Okay. Um, what could be next? Um, I mean, there's... She's rel- All of these are going to be relatively recent. So I don't know if a monster... If people remember A Monster Calls... She was in one of those. I saw a monster calls and I barely remember a monster calls is the problem. It was just okay. It was. It It wasn't terrible. That was a movie with a great trailer. Yes. I thought the movie was like disappointing. Right. Um, Okay, fine. A monster calls. No, sorry. Did I trick you into saying a monster calls? Because it is not a monster calls. Okay, not a monster calls. That's two wrong guesses. What are my years? Your years are 2011 and 2016. 
2016 is the same year as Rogue One. 2011 is further back enough that that tells me it's probably like crazy. Is it like crazy? It's like crazy. Her big kind of breakthrough, indie breakthrough. That movie that was a big deal at that Sundance and I watched it and I was like, what? Yeah, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. Now it Um, makes me sad because everything with Anton Yeltsin makes me sad. But I know. um, May he rest. May he rest. What a wonderful actor. I know. Um, Okay, 2016, same year as Rogue One, which is also the same year as Monster Calls. I'm just going to guess that it's the damn Da Vinci Code movie. Yeah, but what's it called? Uh, It's not called called the damn Da Vinci Code, even though it should, because, uh, yeah. (laughs) Another goddamn Da Vinci. Two Da Vinci, two code. Yeah, it's not that either because yeah. it's yeah. the third da one. Vinci? Besides, uh, uh, Da Vin three. <laughs> yeah, Da Vin three code. It's Inferno, of course. Sure. The poster. Definitely. Look up the poster for Inferno and like marvel with me at very how very much like. Okay, let me look this up. Neither one of them were ever in a room with each other or their heads don't belong on those bodies. Like it is an incredibly um what? Photoshop. This is a direct to DVD cover. Yes. Which basically that movie should have been. I cannot believe that Ron Howard did three of these fucking things. Yes. And it's a better film than Hillbilly Elegy, probably. I mean, I'm still uh refusing to see it until the very last moment that i'm forced to (laughs) i haven't seen it either i will probably see it before you because i am less uh constitutionally opposed to it yes very well though uh good job with felicity jones awesome cool um so for you joe i went back to our uh initial twitter uh tease for this movie which was the cover of david bowie's ziggy stardust album right because there's a song on the album called suffragette city correct for you i have one mr david bowie oh and are they all acting credits yes they are the man who fell to earth the man who fell to earth yes um the prestige Yes, The Prestige. Okay, now it gets hard. Oh, wasn't there one where he played a vampire? Am I wrong? Don't tell me. I mean, I know the movie that you're talking about. I'm not going to tell you what is going on. Oh, Labyrinth, like though. Doi Labyrinth. Labyrinth, yes. My bel- Labyrinth is... I, don't, I know, like, everybody loves Labyrinth, but, like, Labyrinth truly was, like, one of the very earliest movies that I remember, like being a fan of it's not the first movie i ever saw but like i remember watching that movie uh for the first time at my cousin's house on a sleepover and being fascinated by it's almost like you're homosexual i know it's crazy um anyway all right so i'm three or four on bowie is it i could be thinking of a totally different person but is he in the i am maybe giving you this is it the hunger get a perfect score is it the hunger no No. It's not The Hunger. That is the vampire movie. That movie is hot as hell. And that's him, right? Um, it is him. It's a Tony Scott movie. Sarandon and Deneuve. Right. He's only in the beginning of the movie, I think. Oh, okay. But no, that's not correct. If you if I don't have to give you the year, this is a perfect score. No, you see, you are you are too lenient with that. I, I do not get a perfect score. I do not go four for four. All right, fine, 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 fine. Um, I am I am the uh, stern dad in this uh, regard. Mm-hmm. Okay. And none of them are voices, right? No. I know it's not a rule, 
I'm just going to throw it out there and you don't have to answer. But are any of them cameos as himself? I really don't know what you want me to say if you're trying to don't. throw something no. out. I'm just talking out. I'm thinking out loud. Yeah. I'm thinking out loud. You asked me a very direct question I did. after you told me not to I answer did. it. I am, as they say, impossible. Okay. Um, is it the film where he plays Andy Warhol, which is, I believe, Basquiat? It is not Basquiat. Your year is 2001. Okay. Is that the year that he played himself in Zoolander? It is Zoolander. It's Zoolander. Okay. All right. I was on the right track then. Uh, Don't give me shit for being on the right track. Zoolander. Yeah. Um, I will say, I know everybody hated the Zoolander sequel. I did not see it. I, in my memory, still really love Zoolander, and I want to stay that way. I think it's really funny. I think it's really funny. I'm sorry. I you do. can you can stay there by not seeing the sequel. Remember when we had a couple people show up for Zoolander yes. two on their IMDb? Was game? it Kristen Psycho. Wig was one of them? I think. I think Kristen Wig. I think Penelope Cruz. That, wait, that's insane. That's un- no, it was that. It was something that bad. I think wow. maybe Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, this would have been a while ago, so hopefully they have fallen yeah. off since. But all right. I'm happy with my performance on that, even if I... Because that's a really... really that's a limited set. That's a that's a tough... I uh, can't believe Zoolander's on his known for it. That's wild. All right. Anyway. All right. So, I think that's our episode. I think so. I think so. If you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. If you don't follow us on Twitter... Next week is our listener's choice episode. You maybe don't know. Congratulations to Widows. Widows won. We will be doing Widows next week. I'm very excited. I'm very very excited excited to talk about Widows. uh, We will do our best to make it not a three-hour episode. Well, Um, one whole hour is going to be talking about Cynthia Erivo running. So I don't know. I don't know, man. Yep. Uh, Maybe it'll have to be installments. There's the chapter on uh, Cynthia's arm. uh, The (laughs) chapter on the dog. Yes, Um, Brian Tyree Henry with the dog. uh, Yes, 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 yes. Um, A chapter on how Elizabeth Debicki is tall. A chapter on how fucking amazing Daniel Kaluuya is. A a Um, chapter on Daniel or uh, Colin Farrell's Chicago accent. Yeah. (laughs) A chapter on Robert Duvall playing himself. Right, exactly. Oh, I can't wait. Um, Joe, tell our lovely listeners where they can find more of you. Sure. I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, where Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd under Joe Reed. Reed spelled the same way. And yeah, I am, again, diligently trying to plow through the films of this year on Letterboxd. So come join me. Yes, uh, I am on Twitter at Chris v. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. Also trying to plug through the rest of the 2020 movies I have to catch up to. Uh, we'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts, which now includes Spotify. Uh, a five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please uh, give us an up- uplifting speech from a balcony to future listeners and then sneak off into your carriage protected by several decoys. <laughs> Uh, That's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Well done, Sister Suffragettes.
Daughters, daughters will adore us, and they'll sing 